Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Stephen Andrews. It is entitled, The Wedding Parables. I am. Uh, I wasn't supposed to speak this week, <laughs> and uh, it was interesting. I was going to pick back up on my Ecclesiastes message, but it didn't seem to fit for some reason. And I think you'll see why it was fitting for me to pick it up with this particular message today called the wedding parables. They're found, I think that I found all of them, I hope that this is the, <laughs> the sum of them, that Jesus had in chapter 25 of Matthew, the ten virgins, chapter 22 of Matthew, and the wedding banquet, and in Luke, the chapter 14, I call it humility and the great banquet. One of the things that we learn about scripture studies is that we need to know who's talking, where they're talking, where they're at, why they're talking, and what's the situation. So what do we call that? In the Bible, when we're studying and we're doing something like that and we're trying to put it together, what do we, what do we call that? Anybody know? Context? That's what it is. He said it. Context. In fact, Curtis mentioned it several times in his message. So, today, as we put this together, we will be looking at the context and how these fit together and how they are uh, a part of what Jesus is teaching. It'll be interesting because he's teaching some of the same things that Curtis was talking about being prepared. Now, um, by the way, in a little bit, I, at the end of this message, I've also got an interesting book that I found some time back uh, on the customs, the manners and customs in Scripture, and it's got a lot of good information in it. So I might, I've got one section that I'd like to read at the end, towards the end of this message. But to start out, We've got to understand about a little bit about uh, the, the marriage uh, situation and marriage itself, and how, uh, particularly in that particular time frame, people were getting together for weddings. Well, it's interesting that it's not much different than what we do today. Let's go to John, the, the second chapter, and let's look at the first time that Jesus actually has does a miracle. And he does it at a wedding. It's an interesting situation. On the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Well, Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Now, interesting. In a funeral, you can go. Anyone can come and sit down and listen to the, the, the uh, funeral pro, uh, 
what's going on in the funeral and, and um, you know, be present. Pass your condolences to those that are there. But in a wedding, you're invited. It is a calling. You have to be invited. Or you're called a crasher. <laughs> you're going to crash that wedding. I'm just going to crash that wedding. For the most part, all weddings, you were invited. Now, you might have a group invite. We've done that in the church before. We've had, we had a wedding, and we invited everybody. We wanted everybody to come. But maybe the, the, the bride and the groom were very specific, and they only wanted some. So we understand that the same thing happens, happened then. They were invited. Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage, to the marriage wedding. And when they wanted, wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto them, they have no wine. Now, I get to thinking about this. Surely they, they didn't drink it all up before the, before the wedding happened. <laughs> I, I suspect they went through the wedding, through all the, all the ceremony and everything, and they came to the end and everything was, uh, they were still enjoying the wedding because weddings are a festive time. They're a rejoicing time. Young couples or older couples or whoever's getting married, that's a time for festivity. And usually you'll have all kinds of different festive things going on. So here they are, the end of the, the wedding, I think. I'm just speculating here on this. At the end of the wedding, and they wanted wine. And the mother of Jesus said unto, uh, unto him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? Mine hour's not yet come. And his mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. And there was set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two and three firkins apiece. And Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them with, uh, to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they did bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made of the wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And then when the men have well drunk, then they which are worse, but you have, say, uh, you have kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of the miracles that Jesus did. Now, Going back and looking and seeing what, what transpired there, we have someone that is kind of over the wedding festival, uh, kind of proceeding, uh, uh, not proceeding, uh, presiding or prosiding over the, the wedding itself. And I, I thought, well, when David and Sarah were married up in, in Washington, there was a lady that, that did that. She was responsible for boutonnieres and corsages and anything else that went on in the wedding. She was kind of responsible for all the things that went on. So this guy here, he was responsible for making sure that everybody was satisfied, that they had plenty of wine, that they had plenty of good things, that, that the festival would continue on, that they were enjoying themselves. So he was responsible. Well, he then also turned to the bride. To, to, the, to the groom, and he says, wow, this is, this is good stuff. And so 
we see some of the similarities even in the weddings that we have in the United States and, uh, and around the world actually <clears throat> in what was going on back there uh, in, in this particular wedding. So that sets the groundwork for what we're going to, to look at or, or ground uh, for the next things that we're going to look at. The first one I want to go through is the, the wedding banquet. And, and like I said, there's, there's a need for context in this because in, in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, and remember, <laughs> chapters uh, are, are man-made. Uh, they're not, chapters are things that men have put in there. Realize that in books we understand that a chapter uh, kind of sets a scene from one thing to the next. But sometimes in the Bible, it's, it's not like this isn't a new chapter because it might, the context might continue on. Something is going on and it might continue. So what we see here is we need to actually start in Matthew, the 21st chapter, and then beginning in verse 23 so that we can actually find out what's going on before we get to the 22nd chapter and the wedding banquet. Because there's some things that Jesus is talking about and talking to that we won't know anything about if we just start and pick it up in Matthew, the 22nd chapter. So here, let's, let's start now in verse 23 of chapter 21. And when he came into the temple, now this is very important that you remember certain things about this particular one. Because when we go to another one, it'll be a little different. The chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority do you these things? And who, give you, who gives you this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you this thing, which if you will tell me, I in likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, which was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we say of men, we fear the people for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. And I am so thankful for the water that's under here because I'm already starting to fog up. <laughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> Let's see now. Was I going to read all of this? I want to make sure where I was picking this up. Yeah, doesn't hurt. <clears throat> In the context, he's still talking to these same people. And he goes on, but what thank you? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered and said, I, I will not. But afterwards he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, and Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether the two did, <clears throat> did the will of his father. And they say unto him, The first. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that the publican and the harlot go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, he's setting, he's setting the stage for what he's going to bring out in chapter 22 that we'll see here. He's setting the stage for it. 
because they're going to get the idea of what he's talking about. <clears throat> For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believe him. And you, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards that you might believe him. He goes on. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it around about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let uh, it out of a husbandman and went into the far country. And when the time of the fruit draw near, uh, drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen and they might receive the fruits of it. The husband took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. And again he sent another servant more than the first, and they did uh, unto them likewise. But the last of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out in the vineyard and slew him. And when the Lord thereof of the vineyard come, what will we do unto these husbandmen? They said to him, he will miserably destroy, destroy those wicked men and will, uh, and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits of their season. And Jesus said unto them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builder rejected, the same has become the, the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, given to the nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. These are pretty powerful words for the people that he's standing there talking to. And whosoever shall fall on that stone shall be broken, but on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived, <laughs> boy, that's pretty powerful words. I would suspect they were perceiving that he spoke of them. But then they sought to lay hands on him. They feared that the multitude, because they took him for a prophet. Continuing on now, Jesus answered and spoke unto them again in a parable. And so here we now, we've come to this parable of the wedding banquet. Which means that he has been talking to the same people and bringing out the same message. And so here we... <laughs> We have this wedding parable now. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and that they would not, and they would not come. Okay. We have now, we've written out our wedding invitations. It has the, the king's stamp on it. He's got it stamped on there. It's a king's invitation and he sent it out and what do they do they refuse to come what do you what how is this king is going to feel he's going to be extremely angry that these people that are bidden to come to the to the wedding are not coming again he sent forth other servants saying tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and the fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the marriage. Come to the marriage. 
this is another very, very powerful parable that he's giving these people. And he's talking to them about their own lack of coming to him and to the truth and understanding. But they made light of it and went their way, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated and spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then said he to the servants, The wedding is ready, but they which are bidden are not worthy. This also can have futuristic portent. I'm hoping that those that are invited, those that are called, even if they've turned for a while, that they will repent because God will be, the wrath of God will be upon them if they're not. And they will, as we shall see at the end here, be very sorrowful about it. He said, Go you therefore in the highways as many as you shall find. Bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the garden and gathered together as many as they found both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. When the king came in to see the guests, he saw there was a man which had, on, had, had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how came you here not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king then, then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away. Cast him into the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, and few are chosen. Uh, the wedding crasher I was talking about. <laughs> I also wrote Satan down there, but I don't know whether that really applies or not. And maybe you could think about this. But one of the things I had read in some of the commentaries were that in these particular weddings that there was a garment that was actually supplied to everyone that came to the wedding. So whoever this guy was or whoever this person was refused the garment or re refused to uh, comply uh, with what the wedding was all about. And so consequently, when he was confronted, he had nothing to say. He was caught, essentially. He snuck in. He wasn't dressed properly. He wasn't in the right attitude or something. And he was caught. And the, you can understand, the king was already very angry. And so he cast them out. Now, it doesn't say that he... There was another commentary that was kind of interesting in that outer darkness might mean just outside of this festivity, outside of, the, of what was going on in the festivity. Can you imagine these individuals that he's talking to understanding that they're going to be cast out and they're going to be looking in at the children <clears throat> of God 
who were in the kingdom, and they had the opportunity, and they rejected it, and they're going to be gnashing and sorrowful and weeping because they did not accept Christ as their personal Savior at that time. In fact, they rejected him, and they had him crucified. So, but Jesus was there. He was preaching. He was teaching. He was giving them this valuable, wonderful teachings, and they were rejecting it. For many are called, and few are chosen. The calling is going out. So context had a, a great deal to do with this one here, and very important. Now, let's turn to Luke. Which, it's interesting that if you have a, a Bible that has the, uh, which I have, that points to, the, to another area which is similar, or the same thing that's going on uh, in a parallel condition, mine was pointing to Luke, the 14th chapter. And in some ways, it's similar, but in other ways, it's not. So we're going to pick it up in Luke, the, uh, let's see, I want to make sure I get this right. The parable of the great banquet starts in verse 15. But if we don't put it in the context, we kind of miss something. And what we miss is where he's at and what he's talking and who he's talking to. And it came to pass as he went, in verse 1, into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. So he's not in the temple, but he's talking to chief Pharisees. So he has another opportunity to really put it to them. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke unto the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And he answered, saying unto them, Which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again in these things. I had a difficult time with Jesus because, of course, he had the power of God. So, you know, he, he was very powerful in the, in the spirit. And his parables and the things he taught very much were on their nerves. He put forth another parable. <clears throat> now, this is the parable that kind of connects the two. He put forth another parable which was which were bid, bidden when he marked how they cho uh, chose out the chief rooms, saying to them, When you are bidden of any man to a wedding, sit down not in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than you be bidden. So many different people were, at this particular instance, were called to this wedding, and you had all the different hierarchy, I guess, of individuals, and, and he's saying, okay, you take a different seat. 
to begin with. And he that bade, uh, bade you and him come and say to you, Give this man place, and you begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when you are bidden, go and sit in the lowest room, that when he bade you come, he may say unto you, Friend, go up here, and then shall you have uh, worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with you. For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So he's saying, Start out at the lowest area. Go back and, and sit in the back for a while. And maybe he will come to you and re recognize you and say, come on, come on up and sit with us. You're bidden to this wedding. You're the one that we would like to have uh, sit at honor with us. So he's, he's giving them that. Then he said also unto them, uh, bade him, when you make a dinner or a supper, call not your friends, nor your brethren, nor your kinsmen, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also bid you again and recompense be made to you. But when you uh, makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you shall be blessed, for they cannot recompense you, for you shall be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. One of those teachings that Jesus was showing us to reach out and, and treat others especially those that cannot return the favor. Now, this parable is a great banquet. And it seems to fit the other one, but it's a little different. And we'll find that out. And when one of them sat at meat with him and heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time, and said to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuses. The first said unto him, I have uh, bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. And I pray you, have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I've got to go prove them. I pray you, have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come so the servant came and showed his Lord these things and then the master of the house being angry said to his servant <clears throat> go out quickly under the streets to the lanes in the city and bring hither the poor the maimed and the halt and the blind and the servant said Lord it is done as you have commanded and yet there's room and the Lord said unto the servant go into the highways and the hedges and compel them that come that come in that my house may be filled, for I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Once again, Jesus is warning those that are listening, which are these Pharisees, these different ones, and these lawyers. He's warning them through these parables of their faith for rejecting him and for rejecting this truth rejecting this uh, what he's been teaching and he does it very eloquently in these parables and sh surely they were able to, to understand now the third one a little bit more to it because we have to start in Matthew the 24th chapter 
As I said before, it's interesting how that men have tended to put chapters in there. And I, I know that it's good to, to have a chapter in there so that you know I'll go to Matthew, the 25th chapter, verse 7, and we can keep track of all those things and stuff. But if you just assume that it stops at Matthew, the 25th chapter, or starts again at, at a new chapter, you might miss something. <clears throat> One of the things you're going to miss is this is part of the teaching of the, uh, Mount, uh, the Mount of Olives. It is a continuation of the teaching on the Mount of Olives, which is very interesting. I'm not going to do all of chapter 24, but I will pick it up in verse 32, because I think it's very important. This, this preliminary part, before we get to the ten virgins, I think explains pretty well what we're looking at when we get to that part of the ten virgins. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree when its branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you shall see also the things, uh, know that uh, so also when you see all these things, that's what we're talking about before in, in uh, Matthew, the 24th chapter. And most of us are very familiar with it. When you see all those things, know that it's near, even at the doors, eat. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. So these words are still in effect today. They have not been changed. But of the day and the hour knows no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were so also as the coming of the Son of Man be. Whereas in those days were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. And two women shall be grinding, and one, uh, one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have, been, would have not suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be you ready, for in such hours you think not the Son of Man comes. Be you ready. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household? We're, we're that. We're supposed to be faithful and wise servants over the things that God has given us, the blessings that he has given us and the truth that he's given us. Blessed is, it, is that servant whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him 
a portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And of course, that one always reminds me of the, of the parable that Jesus gave of the man that, that was rich and had made, decided that he was just going to build this big edifice for himself. And finally he said, oh, I have got it all. I am rich and in, increased with goods, and I am so wonderful. And the parable was that God says, your life ends right now, and he dies. And as Curtis said, we don't know. We don't know. Our time with Christ could be tomorrow, or today, any time, because we could perish and be ready for the kingdom. And so that's why he says, be ready, be, be watchful. Now, the parable of the ten virgins is the same, is essentially the same idea. And I'll read uh, some things out of this that was kind of interesting. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now, ten, ten is, number 10 is like perfection. So we had 10 in this group of virgins, but five were wise and five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they slumbered and slept. Not just... Both of them, all ten of them were sleeping. They weren't watching. But five of them were prepared. Five of them were prepared. But they still slumbered. They still slept. I thought that was quite interesting. And at midnight there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go you out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, <laughs> I want your oil. Give me some of yours. For our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go, rather, and sell and buy yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open up. But he answered and said, And verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore. The, the warning is there. The warning is there. He has been teaching his disciples through all of this about the kingdom, about what's going to happen and the tribulation is coming, and all the things that are going to happen on the world. And he says, this parable then, he says, Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. And so for us, because we, we are finite, we know that our time is, is not permanent on the earth, we need to be always ready that God will find us worthy of his kingdom.
And I think that's a wonderful thing to, to look at. Um, the book that I have, because I'm now I've come up to this part, is called Scripture Manners and Customs. It's by Mary Fowler Maud. And it's interesting, at one time it was a library book somewhere. <laughs> and now it's a library book in my library. <clears throat> it says, um, <clears throat> I'm going to pick it back up just at the bottom. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in to him to the marriage, and the door was shut. The following passage supplies us with a striking parallel to the imagery of the parallel of the parable. At a marriage, the procession of which I saw some years ago, the bridegroom came from a distance, and the bride lived in um, Serampur, Serampur, to which place the bridegroom was to come by water. After waiting two or three hours at length, near midnight, it was announced as if in the very words of Scripture, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go you out and meet him. All the persons employed now lighted their lamps and ran with them in their hands to fill up their stations in the procession. Some of them had lost their lights. She actually witnessed this, the real thing happening, and were unprepared. But it was then too late to seek them, and the cavalcade moved forward to the house of the bride, at which place the company entered a large and splendidly illuminated area before the house, covered with an awning, where a great multitude of friends dressed in their best apparel were seated upon mats. The bridegroom was carried in the arms of a friend and placed on a superb seat. <coughs> Excuse me. In the midst of the company, where he sat, uh, a short time and then went into the house the door of which was immediately shut and guarded by keepers. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That she actually witnessed this exact same scenario. And it's kind of, most of these customs were, some of it was still an extent when she wrote this book in the Middle East. I don't know whether they still are or not. But th that was so fascinating. I and others expostulated with the doorkeepers, but in vain. In other words, let's go in. I, I want to go in. <laughs> Continuing on, a grand feast was prepared for the bridal party and their friends, either in the bridegroom or their father's house, and a fitting garments were provided by the host for the guests. We have an interesting notice of the marriage feast, which Christ adorned and beautiful. Uh, beautified with his presence at the Cana Galilee. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, both Jesus, and of course we've read that. The custom is again referred to in the parable of the marriage garment. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And when the king came to see the guests, he saw that there was a man that had not on a wedding garment and he said unto him, Friend, how do you came in, in here and not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The splendor of the length of the feast depended on the course of the circumstance of the bridegroom 
in certain cases it prolonged for seven days, which were spent in the entertainments of different kinds, such as riddles and conversations, and uh, I won't go on any further, but to realize that the things that we read in Scripture, Jesus using as parables, were actually things that were going on. Remember, he would also use uh, the farm things, such as the seeds and the ground and that. So he used those various things to bring out important points, and especially the point that we need to be ready, as we heard in the first message. Now, let's go to the book of Revelation. There's an interesting scripture here in Revelation, the 16th chapter, just one verse. I'd like to read this one. If you don't think that our Savior is not concerned about us and loves us, he says in verse verse 5 of chapter 16, and I heard the angel of the water say, oh, wait a minute, that's not right. Um, it's verse 15. I probably wrote down verse 5, but it's verse 15, 16, 15. He says, Behold, I come as a thief, blessed as he watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And I went back to those that overcome in chapter 3 and verse 5. That's us, overcomers. Understand that. We are the ones that are working or, or living our lives as overcomers, looking forward to the kingdom of God. Jesus is going to take care of us. And here it is. He that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. We are not going to be ashamed. We're going to be glorified. We're going to stand before the Father and the Son in the kingdom. And he says, I will not blot out your name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. We will be glorified if we are overcoming, if we're watching, if we're continuing on. And we will be one of those ones that will be invited to the most wonderful time in the kingdom of God. I'm just going to read a few verses here in Revelation 21 and 22. And take it home with you and, and meditate on it, think about it. Uh, this will be our hope, our looking forward to the kingdom of God. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, newly, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Verse 9, and 9 through 11. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to the great high mountain, and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto the stone, most precious, even like jasper stone, clear as crystal. You can read the rest of that. You can be encouraged by how beautiful this place that we're going to reside in, and that we're going to be so much loved and taken care of. Verse 22, I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the, 
The city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And in chapter 22, beginning in verse 6, And he said unto me, These things, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God and the holy prophets sent his angels to show unto his servants things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Beginning of verse 12. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, come, brethren, come, and let him that hears come, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. 